Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Katherine Garforth from Garforth Education, and this is the Right to Read Initiative, a place where we talk to educators about what they're doing to help best practices occur in the classroom for reading instruction and also learn about their journeys. Today, I had the pleasure of having Karina Fitzner from Vancouver Island join me, and we're going to be talking about her journey to the science of reading today and the steps that took her from where she was finishing school to where she is today as a, a literacy coordinator. So thank you for joining me today, Karina. Can you take a minute to give people a little bit of information about who you are and what you do? Yes. Um, so as said, I'm Karina Fitznar, and I work for School District 79, which is Cowichan School District in Vancouver Island, so the city of Duncan nearby. And I am the secondary district coordinator of instruction and innovation. Yes, I have to write that down because it's <laughs> a mouthful. Um, there's also a, an elementary counterpart to my position and we collaborate on various things. Um, so all areas of instruction and but focused in, in secondary. So really that's eight to 12 in one school. There's more of an overlap into seven, just the way the numbers worked out. Um, yeah, so I work with the teachers and principals, vice principals, supporting all the school initiatives and supporting some district initiatives as well. And literacy is a big one. Of course. And, you know, the thing that I think people have to remember is even though you have a position that's focusing on students in the upper grades, like high school, uh, they still have reading problems and you need to understand how reading develops mm -hmm. yeah that's been a big part has been um bringing sort of that foundational understanding the five critical components in scarborough's rope into all of the schools and just building a general awareness not necessarily getting really deep with everyone but bringing that um just so that we have a common understanding again of different depths but at least a common appreciation for what the various strands are um, the different needs of students it's really helped people to understand that difference between um, sort of intervention and students who really struggle with reading and then the disciplinary piece where literacy just continues to to grow and develop throughout our lives and and how you know there's a certain point where our language and everything just gets more specialized. So we all have a contribute contribution to make to mm -hmm. that work with the learners. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, today, I think it's always best to start out at the beginning. So what made you want to be a teacher? <laughs> That's a funny one. Somebody recommended to me the show Rita on, um, on Netflix, which is very comical. Um, <laughs> And there was a, an episode where she was asked that question and she came to this epiphany um, and it's not unlike mine. Uh, and I, I loved school until I didn't. I was that kid in grade four who I asked, you know, Mr. Elliot, can we have a puppet theater? Can I get my uncle to bring in a big giant fish tank and we can, you know, touch tank of sea creatures, you know, fired up, fired up. 
And then something changed and, you know, learned that, oh, no, we don't want our opinions. Oh, okay. I just, you know, that, that, that was disobedient. It wasn't naughty, but, you know, that mm-hmm. sculpting passion piece. So really my motivation, and especially there was two moments in high school for where I felt um, embarrassed. I felt I was advocating for my peers and, and making positive contribution because we were asked, you know, as grade 12 students, what do you think would make it better? And I engaged and then regretted it immediately. And so my big motivation was to show those people how to teach and how to treat youth, like how to be student centered and how these empty words, I'm like, those words have meaning and I'm going to bring them to life to show you. Not that they, I ever see them again or anything, but yeah. So my motive was a bit out of spite, perhaps. <laughs> you know what? Uh, honestly, mine is too. Mm. Uh, I had a, a horrible experience as a student with dyslexia in the public school system. And uh, my mom actually gave me a tile after I, I transitioned to a school that specialized in learning disabilities. And it said, success is the best revenge. I still have that tile to this day and it's my motto. Like, you know, you, you told me that I'd never be anything. I never learned how to read. And yeah, I know how to do that now. Yeah. And it's amazing what that motivator can be and the changes that it can promote in the school system. Mm-hmm. So after high school, what did you do? Did you do a combined degree for education or did you, did you do something else first? Um, I knew I wanted to be a teacher and my stepmother was a teacher. She was this amazing teacher and I just saw her, you know, reaching the hearts of all students and appreciated all the diversity and, you know, the spirited boys that lived in the hallway the year before they were embraced and leaders in her class. Right. So I, I, I just, that really spoke to me and I wanted to contribute to that as well. Um, but I also love design. So I went to design school first and did a diploma knowing that, that would be my path. And also knowing that if I hadn't taught first, I probably would never go back and do the design thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I paid attention, listened a lot to adults and didn't want to be an adult with regret. So wanted to just do it all. And it's interesting because that design, not just the arts part, but the design thinking and theory to action and tending to audience, man, it's fed, fed my teaching. Um, but uh, did that, worked with InDesign also, but then did a liberal studies Bachelor mm-hmm. of Arts. It just seemed to be a path where if I did one extra semester, I'd have two degrees. Um, and I was just interested in the meaty, critical and creative thinking of like a liberal studies degree. Again, really fed my teaching. So glad I did that because the literacy, I was not a stellar high school student. I learned that first year was hard on me. and. I ace university and that's a mix of self-perception and learning explicit skills. And I had some amazing props, um, but liberal studies took me then to a bachelor of education in Vancouver Island university's post degree post back program. And we were one of the guinea pig cohorts. And so we kind of got the best of their attention. They were really trying to put themselves on the map and they did. Um, so we had really rich experiences there. Um, and started then teaching in SD 79 couch and district, this district in 98, I haven't been here the whole time, but, mm-hmm. um, and then only a couple of years ago did a master's of curriculum instruction at a UVic, mm-hmm. uh, focused on early childhood education. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And my motive for that was I learned what I know about teaching and the explicit pieces when I taught primary. Even though I taught secondary and had to bounce around and go where the work is, mm-hmm. I felt that my effectiveness with the secondary with students is from what I learned um, K to two. Awesome. So in your design school and your literal arts degree, did you learn anything about reading development or linguistics uh, or the, the cognitive piece of learning to read? Absolutely not. okay so like most people going into their bachelors of education you Mm -hmm. went in as let's say a tabula rasa right a blank slate when it came to reading instruction only knowing what you had learned through experience to that point then in your bachelors of education did you have any specific instruction on how to teach reading not what to do once kids are reading, but how to actually teach children how to read and how the brain learns how to read. Absolutely not. <laughs> not even. Don't worry, you're not alone. Uh, and what about in your master's in your ECE? Did did we cover any of that there? Um, okay, no. But funny story. <laughs> um, because that's, that was really what I wanted to get out of that. So I myself kind of did, I went off the side, I was really frustrated. Our mm-hmm. textbook was a big, fat, honking, Fountas and Pinnell yeah. thing, which I'm, I'm not buying that. That's garbage. I, I'm sorry. Sorry, that was, that was. You're allowed your opinions. Okay. I did not want to own that thing. So um, I borrowed it from the library and, and a friend that we we commuted together, I would sort of sneak over her shoulder. Um, she's far more obedient than I am. Well, not really. But um, yeah, it was interesting because at one point we're sitting in the class and she was trying to explain the difference between, um, this is the prof, uh, phonological awareness and phonemic awareness and what was a relationship. And I was, I was starting getting uptight at this point. I'm getting cranky and I'm starting to squirm in my chair and my girlfriend leans over. She goes, Oh, just do it. And I went, um, so there's a visual that I find really helpful. And I, and I said, I could share if you'd like, and she said, Oh, sure. So I drew up that umbrella, yeah. the phonological umbrella thing and labeled it and then spoke to it. Um, and then that became the class cheat sheet that she actually asked me to go up and share um, repeatedly throughout that course it was really disappointing um however she also I think um appreciated she came to me with oh you have you know some foundational knowledge and I said I just really have interest and you know what can I do this instead and so I did do some more learning in there of my own design which I sought advice from one of our um school psychologists Mm-hmm. who who kept putting me on the right track I'm like I've observed this what is it she'd name it and I'd go learn it yeah exactly so it's really that self-directed learning that so many individuals in education have had to do because the learning and at the institutions available to us especially in Canada historically have not had this available to us and the focus has more been on the social emotional side of things 
and what to do once children are reading, as opposed to figuring out what to do so we can catch them before they fall. So you mentioned that you had the school psychologist that pointed you to some different resources. Can you say what, you know, the ones that you use to really start out your journey? Um, hmm. Not sure. Um, really, it was more about find foundational understanding. So what mm -hmm. I sought from her was um, things that I had observed, like, or actually not, it was, there was also an SLP, um, a speech and language pathologist. There were two different people I'd go to. So going to the speech language pathologist and saying, okay, so I'm teaching my grade one twos these sounds and we're working in some phonics. Um, and I'm, I'm having a problem with the TH. And then she talked about voiced and non-voiced. I'm like, oh yeah, right, okay, thanks. And so I just kept going back and being intentional. And then she would, I don't know, she would throw different things that she had out of her magical binder of golden things that mm -hmm. would be in specialist closets and, and help me out there. And she was very excited to help me because she's like, oh, you're doing speech therapy in your classroom. I'm like, seems like a natural connection. And having learned Spanish as a second language, I know it was very helpful to see, I needed to see how the sounds were formed. Mm -hmm. And so I sought that out in the teaching and I did find some ESL things I would pull for that, but largely I was making it up and just feeling it and being really intentional and working it out with the kids. Mm -hmm. So on um, a yeah, and so layering what I was noticing with intention. And then the, the school psychologist, she turned me on to, I think, um, names. I said, give me research names. I like reading the research. And so uh, Chal and Snow and Wolf and um, the Harvard crew. And mm -hmm. um, so I would seek some of the academic articles to fill in the question. She was really a great coach for me because I would go with a very, very specific question. Um, could be something about, um, sorry, I don't know, uh, digraphs. I remember I was having this big conversation about digraphs and and the value because you know, Fred and I were having a debate on whether or not it was worth the time, and I felt it was, and she felt it wasn't. So then I went to the school site to help me. Are yeah. you talking about digraphs or blends? Oh, sorry, you're right. It was blends. It was absolutely blends. Because yeah. I hope digraphs are ones that are taught uh, and yes, not really, really are. time. <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm not used to this. No. <laughs> yeah. No, that conversation just came to me because I do remember saying it's, there's no point. I'm like, well, and then how do you go, you know, how do you blend this together and working with the little kids' mouths and yeah, speech to print and how does that all work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Oh, actually, and she really turned me on to um, Consortium of Reading Excellence. Mm -hmm. That I am so appreciative of. And our district is actually really, um, I don't know, got on, not on board and that we've led it. It was just a matter of a bunch of us wanted to learn from Consortium of Reading Excellence. And that really came from that one school site. Mm -hmm. For me, it did anyway. Um, the teaching, <laughs> here it is, always handy. Um, the reading source book, for sure, but the multiple measures, mm -hmm. right? Because I was really trying to understand the pieces and then how do we assess to know 
what the student needs and how do we inform our teaching and how do we measure that in progress monitoring and just so helpful having a data-driven person but then that tool being so user-friendly mm -hmm. um yeah that would be probably one of the biggest gifts and then somewhere in there learning about right track reading for for phonics instruction mm -hmm. and especially when working with secondary students the same intermediate but it's just visually clean right so right it's just good tackle no uh, no stuffed animals <laughs> yeah right and i mean i find i'm a very visual person in that like i can't deal with letterland just looking at those pictures i didn't even before i even knew about it when it was handed to me i'm like i i can't <laughs> i just can't um i want color and richness and stuff to come from the kids i give me the meaty give me the real work and stop decorating mm -hmm. so right track reading and all the core pieces for sure west virginia phonics mm -hmm. um, another one that's quite visually clean that i've been turned on to by people much more knowledgeable than myself yeah awesome so how long have you been in your current position uh i'm going into year three Mm -hmm. um, they're doing shorter term cycles. There used to be um, sort of longer, uh, it was more of a permanent position. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't disagree with this process. I mean, it's unfortunate for me because I have to reapply for my job next year and we'll see. But um, I think keeping that, the practice fresh and the cycling through is not a bad idea. I've seen that model in different districts and different places, and I think there's value. So um, there are two-year contracts now that we'll be cycling through. But I was a helping teacher before, about six years ago. So it was similar work, but a lot more, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, out, I'm in schools a lot. There, we have a lot of autonomy still within our positions. Mm -hmm. So, and also responding to the needs of the teacher. So sometimes that's in the office or in the computer making things. And other times it's modeling and, and getting learning rounds together. So a lot of that piece I got to do a lot of the same work before as well just in collaboration with the coordinator at that time so two years of that going into three years of this mm -hmm. that's great now in this position has it caused you to look for additional resources and enhance your your learning because you based on your experience you've covered like a wide range of grades so your understanding at the different levels is definitely there. And we know that we have high school students and those um, middle school students, they're not necessarily reading at that level. Actually, the vast majority of them mm -hmm. in an, an area like where you are in probably aren't reading at grade level. Mm -mm. No, actually. And that, again, that, that core multiple net measures is really helpful, pulling out maze passages in particular, um, working with, um, checking in in all of our secondary campuses, and we have a lot of students who are really, really struggling. So then, then in secondary, the, the conversation really branches off into support roles and interventions, and then disciplinary literacy, and now with so many students who are struggling and the next few years are gonna be really challenging, mm -hmm. um, they are needing scaffolding techniques that are really meaningful. So um, when it comes to the intervention pieces, it's the same. Like 
you know, if you look at Charles stages of literacy, if you're, if you have gaps in that first stage and you need phonological, um, phonemic awareness, um, if you have some gaps within the phonemic awareness, those are going to continue, mm-hmm. right? So whether you're, you're two or 12 or 22 or, you know, 102, it's the same, same thing. So those pieces were easier to draw into because um, becoming familiar with them within the elementary context, just looking at things that are visually clean, um, mm-hmm. that was the big priority there. So mm-hmm. um, dibbles and dibbles, dibbles, dibbles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, easy CBM, all of those pieces for assessment, um, really useful and universal. However, when we're talking about grade typical, that tier one universal all student instruction, uh, as we know the sort of uh, whole language and balanced literacy trend of the last 30 plus years um, has also trickled, trickled up. So where some of us may have, some of us over a certain age, remember having explicit vocabulary instruction and our you know, grade 12 geography teacher read to us and all of that happened then, it's not so much what happens now. That the literacy, embedded literacies of the discipline areas have not really been explicitly tended to. I mean, in patches, sure, right? Like morphology, so teaching um, prefixes, suffixes and and roots um, still have, it's so embedded in science, it happens there, but it's not as widespread as it once was. So looking into discipline area literacies, that's been a big part of where my where my um, focus has been as far as research. And I've found, um, of course, Shanahan literacy, super helpful. Um, Keys to literacy and Joan Sedita. And she'll do um, sort of her keys to reading comprehension, which sort of highlights areas of focus on, or areas that we can focus on for reading comprehension that are cross-curricular sort of instructional strategies, super helpful. Um, Reading Ways, Joshua Lawrence. Oh, that was a godsend finding that because I was trying to take Scarborough's rope and break down all the pieces. What would that mean in science? What would that mean in socials? What would that mean in math? I want to do this as a project. Got some teachers speaking to me. And then I thought, somebody's done this, right? So I was taking the Scarborough's rope, wanted to break it down. Then someone did. They have one for science, one for socials, one for history. And it was just brilliant because, of course, they'd already beautifully done what I was aiming to do. So that was um, Joshua Lawrence and I think it's JC Ippolito. I don't know, reading ways. So that's a really great one um, for breaking out uh, Scarborough's rope and another one for disciplinary literacy is out of Australia and it's Victoria State Government. So Victoria State Government, Australia, and their disciplinary or discipline, what do they say? Disciplinary, <laughs> disciplinary literacy um, section has, it's very rich and really practical. There's the big ideas and the whys, but it really gets into the practicality. And they have a whole section where they're speaking um, to sort of discipline specific sections, mathematics and and history and English language arts, which is its own discipline, Mm -hmm. right? So that figurative language is not being taught in physics class. That happens within the English language arts class. So it's building that appreciation as well. Um, Cult of pedagogy. She just grabs all sorts of great people and 
ideas that are practical. Like if you know what your pieces are out of what part of the rope are you working on, then I find I can jump in there and find some good uh, info that have been really helpful for some of the teachers. Timothy Rasinski, right? The standard name was everything from you can buy his stuff everywhere. <laughs> You know, high academic stuff or go to Walmart. He's probably in the shelves there too. Um, and Wexler's Knowledge Gap. Man, uh, right now, actually, this summer, a bunch of, I think there's 20 teachers in our district are engaged in a writing revolution uh, book club being hosted by Reading Ways. Um, and I've just sort of pulled it together and got everybody books. And um, that's fantastic. But the Knowledge Gap. Um, and that really speaks to a lot of discipline area teachers and it really um, helps them articulate why their content is important. Mm -hmm. right? Like we're coming to an assessment and engagement and what we know about student engagement. Yeah, we want higher level thinking and our competencies for sure. But a student can't engage with competencies without some knowledge bases and then vocabulary holds meaning and holds conceptual understanding. So Wexler has, has that work has been really valuable. And I, I really think it's important to highlight how you're talking about content area and multidisciplinary teaching of literacy because reading instruction does not just happen in the English language arts class or in English. Um, it is part of everywhere. And especially once we get to high school, uh, and we're reading more of that content stuff. That's where we can easily embed things like morphological awareness and morphology instruction because it is all throughout academic language, right? Most of our uh, technical terms are based on the Greek and the Latin base elements. And there's actually a really good book that... I use uh, called uh, Unlocking Literacy 2. Mm. And she actually is by Marcia Henry. And she has a whole appendix full of words that are commonly found in textbooks. Now this goes by subject and it looks at the words that you're going to see and it helps you figure out the the base elements that you're going to be coming across uh, and giving the definitions there uh, and it has areas for you know the latin roots and the greek combining forms mm -hmm. um and i find it very helpful to have that accessible and to know what to do with it a another feature that i feel is important, especially when we look at the high school students, because they don't want to be talked to like they're babies. They want to be talked to like they're adults. And when I look at doing etymology or looking at the history of the word and why the word is spelt that way, giving them a reason other than just saying, well, because it just is, <laughs> is very helpful, liberating, and it makes it so they're more likely to actually engage with you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that semantic mapping yeah. can be so helpful for that too, in that it's making all the connections and then the, the words become just logical instead of there's science words over here and social words over there and social justice over there, you know, equity is equalities is it all comes together and it's like, Oh my God, we've just sort of simplified the world um, for them. And that scaffolding piece, like one of the, um, strategies that people have really been speaking. Oh, actually, sorry, back to that, what you were just saying in that book is mm-hmm. I think exactly what we're looking for. Cause we have Anita Archer's rewards yeah. and that's fantastic and, and all that. But what I've been looking for and I've just been sort of building it myself is what are the strategies so that you can really authentically use the vocabulary that's that you're teaching, that you're using in your lessons that are part of that unit of study that's mm-hmm. supporting your content, but sort of sort of universal strategies that work for that and, and that are not repetitive. Um, so we have a bunch of teachers who actually just started playing with that this year for the first time. And even just in the latter half of the year, um, some people with morpheme walls were playing mm-hmm. with that idea and they found results and they're finding it fun and playing with the words and taking big honking ones, like what's my favorite one to play with? Autorhinolaryngology, <laughs> right? We can pick out rhino, something to do with the nose and, you know, larynx, you know, and it just takes that fear of big words away. Yeah. So with that, and then the scaffolding of that, which is the social emotional part, like that is yeah. that in action. It is knowing that they avoid this because they feel bad about themselves. Well, then let's play with it, make that enjoyable and also take away that fear of, of big words and get some multi-syllabic strategies going on there. Um, but of that same flavor, the quad tech sets, mm-hmm. right. As a strategy, we've been jumping all over this and having great success where we have to meet students where they're at, but we're doing a huge injustice if we're not exposing them to grade level material, but we need access points and ways to build the background knowledge and the vocab to get them there. Um, so quad text sets, um, University of Delaware in their partnership for public education piece, they have quad text sets, sets in um, social justice toolkit and it has how to implement it, how to build them, some really concrete examples and framework. It's so helpful. So we've started building quad tech sets, which um, a bunch of the teachers with our new grad requirement of English First Peoples uh, Mm -hmm. or English focus grad requirement. A lot of the teachers are are looking at um, English First Peoples 10, 11, and 12. So Mm -hmm. in building those resources and wanting to be really intentional with the literacy instruction, Mm-hmm. Um, they're building quad text sets so that um, there's a target text that's at or above grade level, visual, build background knowledge and vocabulary, um, complementary with like opposite genre piece and an accessible text that everyone can actually read. So um, they're really going into it with, with literacy in the forefront, which is exciting. Very cool. Uh, earlier this month, I spoke with Janelle Keller of California, who is in, uh, I guess, I don't know, I think it's high school, because she's working with sophomores, so that's grade nine students, and the resources that she's created for these students are amazing. Uh, she has 
e-magazines that they can go through and it reads to them and it gets definitions and it is comprehension and it's not the baby decodable books but she has it instead of having a scope and sequence uh, that includes the consonant sounds she in her experience finds that by the time they get to her they're pretty good about their consonant sounds, but it's the vowels in English that are so tricky. So she does them based on vowels and her materials are great. For those of you who are listening and would like to reference or, or listen to those um, episodes, they are episode 43, 44, and 45 um so you can access those on the right to read initiative podcast or look for them on the website or our youtube channel so your current role is as a coordinator Mm -hmm. so what do you find to be the most important thing that you can do for the teachers that you were working with at the schools to help them have that understanding? Like what's, what's your go-to for that? Where do you start them out when, when they're not aware of how students learn how to read? Mm. Um, when I go into the conversation, I go in and just sort of ask their observations and if they, they feel that their students are accessing text the way that they would hope, expect, or the way they've seen previously. And right away, you just sort of engage the, the hearts of reaction, right? And everybody gets all fired up. And then, um, but then the invitation of, would you like to sort of learn the foundations? They, they see a value and um, really sort of goes through that simple view of reading mm-hmm. and uh, simple view of reading. And by looking at simple view of reading, then building out, to, I've made it um, a graphic that has a simple view of reading and then Scar- Scarborough's wrote the details underneath. And then we go from that and it bridges it to Scarborough's with elaborations. Mm-hmm. So by looking at Scarborough's rope, um, people can really find themselves in the work. So mm-hmm. those biases or assumptions of what is literacy, I also kind of remind everybody that a bunch of us used to have more explicit literacy instruction, like some people who are lamenting the days of yore when people used to be able to do more things it's like yeah but what was what was our experience what were we doing you know and also sort of myth busting that we can have joy and playfulness and (laughs) explicit systematic instruction at the same time which everybody agrees with it's just you know we get busy and, and and also our curriculum and and trends and where we put our intention. But the great thing about Scarborough's is, especially in secondary, it separates that. So the students who really need to have one-on-one tier three interventions, like those kids who are going to receive that, um, they're focused on these skills. So it really sort of distinguishes and people feel good about saying, okay, I'm not responsible for that. But in looking at that, then we look at the other part of the rope and say, oh, but I am responsible for this. And what does that look like in my content areas? So by being really targeted and explicit for the teachers, they're loving it because it doesn't seem like a big, huge, daunting task, just like student learning to read. You know, we just say read more. No, let's get targeted and explicit and really to what pieces are your pieces? Where are we focusing? So Scarborough's Rope, um, I'm a big fan. 
And we can all find our, our roles and responsibilities and, and meaning within our contexts. Um, and the other thing it does is it builds an appreciation. So um, we had some senior teachers who have more specialized subjects, like you know, uh, physics is a good example, where you're generally not getting the struggling students in a grade 12 physics class, right? Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. But having that teacher um, on board saying, well, hold on a minute. If we have kids in this building who can't actually read, we need to check ourselves as far as our self-importance of our subject areas and, and, and allow, create space for them to go down and get that support. Like, what can we do differently? So in some sites, it's been conversations around scheduling and bell schedules so that kids have access to support in a way that's not taking away from their core learning, like mm -hmm. the, their subject. And then other places it's been, oh, I didn't realize, right? So by us getting some data, so putting together Scarborough's rope within school data and even just using a maze just to get a quick glimpse and then doing a little bit of, we did some San Diego's in a couple of schools just because it was quick and easy and gave us a conversation point. It's like, look, you have 30% of students who are do not have sort of a grade five reading level or in some cases it's you know sort of way more than expen expected, like 20%. Um, in a couple of pockets here and there, needing um, foundational literacy, needing you know sort of that grade three level for stages. Um, so then that conversation of, okay, so we need to create space for that, which means I may need to allow them to leave the room or have different expectations so they can go get that support. So the collaborative piece. And then also um, the conversation morphs into, Right. So how do I scaffold that mm -hmm. in my class when they come back? How do I make this accessible? Right. Without it just being a workaround or a dummying down. Like, how do we make this meaningful but accessible? So, yeah, Scarborough's rope, my best friend. <laughs> it is a, a great resource to use. When we're working with high school students, I find that often people just assume that it's a comprehension program mm -hmm. and they, they focus on that comprehension. Oh, well, they just aren't understanding what they're reading. And then it's, you know, highlighting what well, we do actually have to look at these lower level skills because maybe they weren't able to do this earlier on, but they faked, they faked it until they made it. Right. So highlighting the fact that, these skills need to be supported and recognized and that just putting a student in a comprehension intervention when they have a word recognition problem isn't going to do anything for their comprehension because if you can't read it you can't understand it right and if students who are struggling readers and have made it this far in school they're really good at hiding it and covering up and you can learn a lot from what's happening in the conversations around you and in the classroom, being clever about asking questions of your friends uh, yeah. and still get by, right? So it, it takes that teacher to be like, hey, wait a minute, I'm actually going to stop what I'm doing, sit down with this student and ask them to read aloud to me one-on-one -on -one. and they can get that understanding, whoa, like, 
I, I guess you can't read this. And it's not something that you want to highlight and you know draw attention to and make the students embarrassed. But then you need to recognize, you know, when we look at the simple view of reading, we know that reading comprehension needs both the language comprehension and the word recognition. Well, if they're able to make it in your class somewhat successfully, we know the language comprehension is doing quite well. And that's how they're faking that reading comprehension. But when it comes to the word recognition, they're quite weak. So we need to put the intervention in place to help them with that. So frequently I see that, you know, you'll get a student with a diagnosis and they're immediately handed an iPad and uh, say, okay, here you go. Here's Speechify, get going. You can do it. Now, personally, I feel that it is a huge disservice to the student to have that as the only way of dealing with the fact that they can't read the information they're being presented with at grade level. Yes, it is a great tool to have as an accommodation. And the right to read public inquiry recommendations actually go into this quite deeply about appropriate accommodations and making sure there still is that intervention piece. We need to make sure that high schools have the resource, have the time and the expertise to make sure those intervention pieces are still happening. So the student isn't dependent on that assistive technology or the iPad or the Chromebook to do the reading for them. Now, what do you find? Do you find that that's pretty too? I mean, the, the big problem that I see with this is yes, the government provides the funding to provide the student with the iBook or the Chromebook or the assistive technology while they are in school, but they are not given the assistive technology to take with them out into the world or the, uh, the memberships and the uh, subscription fees to use these assistive technologies that the government's like, okay, or the, the school system's like, okay, this is what you need to get by, but sorry, <laughs> you graduated, you're done, or you've dropped out, you're done, you don't get access to this. This is something that you need to provide yourself. Mm -hmm. When teachers are such powerful, country, I mean, they love kids, right? Mm -hmm. So now that these have been around for a while and the various things, people are seeing the problems and, mm -hmm. and what you're talking about as far as transferability and moving on beyond mm -hmm. um, and having access, but also teachers are saying, no, we're not teaching the skills. There are things we can do to, mm -hmm. to, to arm the student and, and bring them up to a better level of proficiency so they can be successful out in the world. And maybe, you know, as we're looking and assessing these kids, there's a, very direct correlation between the ones reading at a primary level with strong social skills mm -hmm. that also have, you know, behavior designations mm -hmm. and, and red files of, ah, so mm -hmm. of course, cause it's all those strategies. So there's that sense of sort of moral imperative or, or responsibility that's, you know, deep within teachers that they've been saying, no, okay, we tried that out. We looked at it, sounded good, but there, there are a few problems aside from the moving on, even in the school, a kid with the iPad and let's be honest, then the consistency of use and, and reliability of, you know, if you're, you're, you're relying, your, your ability to interact with the, the, 
world is completely dependent on a good, strong Wi-Fi signal and, and app updates and batteries that are plugged in. We're not <laughs> setting up for success. Well, and I can promise you that student, when they're out with their friends, they're not going to want to take a picture of the menu to figure out what they want to eat or where they're, when they're on a date trying to figure out what movie they want to go to or what they want to order. They're not going to want to bring out their assistive technology, you know, just to read the street sign or the map. They need to have these essential skills um, when they have to fill out job applications or read the medication on a label. I mean, sometimes that print is too tiny mm -hmm. for the cameras to recognize. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because part of the narrative, I mean, part I find they sort of go together. It's like, oh, well, you just use speech to text. Yeah, I'm really good at speech to text. I'm a great writer and I can speak all the punctuation because I know where it goes, right? The amount, what's going on in my brain at that time, that is a big load to ask a struggling student to learn who might not have, you know, that proficiency. But another part of the conversation seems to go hand in hand. And I just, I find it troublesome, mm -hmm. um, is, oh, well, they'll, be, they'll go into the trades. Okay, have you seen the trades manuals? They're brutal, right? So forms. Pardon, and forms, like how do you break that down? How, what are the strategies for, for tackling a form, for tackling a manual, for all of that needs to be explicitly taught. And, and that's not equal access to education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when you see these students that, are, that have fallen through the cracks and we're saying, okay, that's all right. We're just going to give them an iPad to fix it while they're in school. And then too bad when you're done, that's doing a disservice. Yeah. And uh, we need to make sure that we, that we move on from that. Now, in these last few minutes, I was hoping you could discuss what you feel teachers or educators in your position who are wanting to learn more, who are just beginning that journey, um, understanding the science of reading in the intermediate and high school grades, what would you recommend for them to start out with and really focus on to broaden their knowledge? My guess is Scarborough Reading Group is going to be somewhere in that answer. <laughs> um, but what else? So I think part of it we need to get over the, the royal we of secondary world. Oh, it's not relevant to me if it's um, in an elementary context. Because a lot of the, no, it's just who we are as humans. How do we learn? So I think it's really helpful to look at Charles' stages, mm -hmm. right? So what are those stages? And then simple view of reading. Layering that within Scarborough's rope. And then a lot of districts, I mean, that gets boiled down into five critical components. Um, and that's, that's fine, but it is applicable. And then just find, once we sort of understand what those pieces are, and Joan Sedita does a great job at that. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, ah, reading. Ah. <laughs> Lost it. It'll come back. <laughs> but looking at those pieces and how they flow, then we can look into that disciplinary literacy. What are the literacies of the discipline deeply and give, you know, arm the teachers with what they want and need and what they can do that really, we're not putting a square peg in a round hole. And the LA teachers, if a kid's getting pull out one-on-one, -on -one, so 
oh, sorry. So then layering that on with RTI mm -hmm. or any multi-tiered system of support, mm -hmm. right? So looking at response to intervention or multi-tiered system support and people to find themselves in the work. And I think in our roles to help get an appreciation of the foundations, which are universal. How do we learn to read some of the brain science? You know, um, and then what in your role, what is your contribution to make? And then focus on that with the people because we tend to do this, which doesn't work for students. It doesn't work for any learners, right? That one size fits all, oh, everyone's gonna do this. No, the, the literacy support teachers need different area of focus than the math teacher, then the science, then the socials, then the English. They have different pieces and different contributions to make. So we have to differentiate those conversations. Once we go past the foundational understanding, we really need to, to get specialized. And if there's one good go-to to get you started, I would say um, that would be the keys to literacy. Um, and that's also because it's not program specific, it's knowledge that, that we need to arm ourselves with. So watch out for that, that manager person who comes around and says, we have to spend in the budget. And, and find the right resource. Mm -hmm. No, um, we, we need to know the things so we can organically just get into that place of flow and knowledge and, and feel good that what we're doing is not a waste of anybody's time. And I love that that's what all the teachers are crying for. It's, they're kind of putting up some boundaries like, hold on a minute. You know, we wanna do things differently for a different result. Yeah, and helping teachers understand even though you may be in you know the science side of teaching uh, or even some of the fine arts the importance of understanding reading development and ways to support your students regardless of the stage that they are in is essential for you to take your teaching to that next level um, I, again, high school is that perfect time to include that morphological awareness instruction, especially when you're working on the different vocabulary words, because it takes it to that wider lens where they can start using and recognizing these base elements mm -hmm. in other areas. Yeah, if there are two areas of focus, I'd say that vocab piece and exactly what you just hit on there. And the natural process of the oral language. So really dialogue, especially at the beginning, you're going into next year, you got a new group of students by using sort of Socratic seminars and anything with a, a dialogue framework, we can engage students in that really high level thinking that's within the rope while mm -hmm. we're building some foundational skills. And then they can start to come together and really using sophisticated language and having it in use and having them use it back. And that immediate feedback that you can do orally that everyone has the benefit of hearing us coaching and correcting, but it's a really engaging intentional process. But a lot of the research of the impact on reading and writing from that oral language piece being really explicit with it powerful stuff for sure yeah well thank you so much for joining me today karina i've really enjoyed our conversation and we're going to be speaking again about those favorite resources that you have to actually help the students and the teachers that you work with get to that next level absolutely yeah i look forward to that thank you for having me you're welcome. Exciting. Something different to do. <laughs> of course. Take care. Thanks.